you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, if you're new with us, again, as Aaron said, I want to welcome you. Um, this is what we do at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and uh, you have found us in a study uh, going through the book of Acts. And we are going to cover uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. So, seven verses today, as opposed to last week, if you were with us, we covered 30-something verses. Um, of a very intense uh, chapter, right? A, a pretty intense passage there in, in Acts of seeing uh, hev- heavy persecution of the early church, external persecution. And uh, while today is going to be a, a little bit less uh, intense, it is no less important than what we covered last week. And so last week, again, like I said, we, we, we saw external persecution of the church. This week, we're going to look uh, more internally uh, into uh, the church. And the, and the question, and really what's going to arrive here, is that the church is trying to solve a problem, right? The church has a problem. Imagine that. Even the early church had problems, right? And so the, what I want you to see, even as we begin to read through these seven verses, is, is see if you can pick up the problem or the issue, the issues that the church, the early church is trying to solve in this. So, so let's read it, beginning in verse 1. If you have your copy of God's Word, great. If you don't, it'll be on the screen behind me. It says this, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas. You're like, did you pronounce those right? You just say them fast with confidence. Nobody knows, all right? A proselyte of Antioch. Verse 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. In verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right? So, so here we have the early church. It says that the whole number gathered. So this is the whole body or the whole group of the early church, and it has grown quite large, but there's, there's, there's a problem. Did you hear that? Like, did you pick that up in the reading? Like, there, there is a complaint, even, the Bible says. And the complaint is being um, given by a group of widows. And there's two group of, gr- groups of widows here. We're going to unpack what this means and what this would look like a little bit deeper as we get into the text. But the group by the Hellenistic or the, the Greek-speaking Jewish widows who have come to faith are complaining that the Hebrew widows, another group of widows in this community, in this early church, are being treated better than they're being treated. It, said, it talked about an unfair distribution. What does that mean? It means that the widows, the Hellenistic widows, feel that they aren't getting the same amount of food or treatment that the Hebrew widows are getting, right? So question, is this issue or is this problem because uh, people aren't loving? No. Is it because they, they don't care about widows? No, not at all. The issue here is, In Acts chapter 6 is a problem that I think is very practical and very real with even where we are as the Parks Church. 
this neglect, this issue, this, this problem, if you will, within the early church is because it has grown so rapidly. The problem here is because of how quickly this church has really exploded onto the scene. And so hear me, the heart is not that they do not love widows. The heart is not that they don't care or love people. The heart of the matter is this, that they have growing pains, right? And that is the only Kirk Cameron reference you will ever hear from this stage, all right? All right? They have growing pains. And so how does the early church address these growing pains? And let me explain, and some of you are so new, you may not understand what I'm talking about here at the Parks Church. We're eight years old. We were started eight years ago by but by, by six leaders, um, us three who, who, who are elders, and alongside of our wives in a group of about 30 people, a core team meeting uh, by and large first in, in, in a house, and then actually we went into a church building, and over that time, over the last eight years, we have seen the Lord multiply that out to nearly 800 people who gather every Sunday morning at the Parks Church. Really incredible reality, Right? And so I can kind of resonate with this idea of, of rapid growth. And for some of you, that doesn't even seem like rapid growth because we are in the DFW area of metropolis, right? This megatropolis church, right? We've got six flags over Jesus over here. We've got just like thousands and thousands of people gathering together. But let me tell you, to go from zero to 800 nearly in eight years is really, really rapid, fast growth in the church world. And we praise God for that. But... With that, hear me, there comes issues, there comes problems, there comes struggles, and I'm peering into Acts chapter 6 in this verse, in these verses, and I'm going, yes, I understand this of all things, but listen, it isn't just that we as leaders understand this, we as part of this church, even if you're just peering in, you feel this, you feel these tensions, and if you're here with us for any amount of time, guess what? You're going to see and sense failure. You're going you're gonna to be able to spot issues. You're going to be able to, to pinpoint things and go, man, we're really weak as a faith family here. Or maybe there is an issue there, much like these complaints with the early church. And so I want us to walk through these honestly because I think this, the word of God, is so helpful for us in how we process this as a growing community of faith. Amen? And the first thing I want us to see is this, is that we should celebrate gospel-centered church growth. Right? And, and, and again, there's a little bit of a, like a cool rhetoric right now where it's like, it's like going, man, we, we, we don't want to be a mega church, right? And again, listen, listen I come out of that, so like, l- listen here. Like, I understand that, but listen, we should celebrate gospel-centered church growth. Look at it in verse 1. I'm not just making this up, okay? Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, ten times in the book of Acts, it refers to an increase or a growth of the church. Literally, it says that they were, their numbers were added to daily. It says that they were growing by multitudes. It says that they were larger than they were before, 10 times. So that's almost every other chapter in the book of Acts. There is a mention to growth. It is a good thing. It is a God-glorifying thing when the gospel is front and center and the Holy Spirit is moving. When the church is growing, we should be full of joy and happy. Listen, the, the rhetoric oftentimes is this. It's going, well, well, well that church is, is just, just all about numbers, right? And, and some of you, you've experienced that as I have, where the churches all, are all about numbers, right? Where people and the church is not treated as a community of people. It's treated like a commodity, right? 
That's not what Acts is celebrating. That's not what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that the gospel is going forth and people's lives are being transformed. And listen, the same thing that happened in Acts will happen in a local community. It will grow by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, so listen, we want to be about people. We don't want to be about numbers, right? However, metrics are not intrinsically evil. Numbers and growth are not intrinsically evil. However, they don't always point to health, right? As one pastor says, cancer grows. There are unhealthy things that grow, so don't be fooled by, by merely numbers. However, imagine you have a bunch of kids, and some of you don't even have to imagine because you have a bunch of kids. But let's just say you were going on a trip with them, right? You're going through the airport, right? You got five, six kids, right? Counting them, right? When you get into the airport or into the airplane, right? None of you would go, well, okay, one, two, three, ah, forget it. I, who cares about numbers, right? Who, ca- who cares about numbers, right? That would not be loving, would it, right? No, we are about numbers because we're about people. Numbers represent people and souls, and we long to see the gospel go forth and transform and to see the church grow just like it did here in the book of Acts, right? So we celebrate that when the gospel is front and center, the Holy Spirit is moving, and the church is growing. However, listen to me, we are in a weird context here in DFW. I've already mentioned some of kind of the church landscape, all right? Listen, you do not need to be preaching the gospel to grow a church in DFW, and I use the the word church there loosely, right? You can grow a quote-unquote church in all the wrong ways, by building your own kingdom, by just gathering a crowd, accommodating idols, but it is not about Jesus. That is not what we're talking about. That is not what's highlighted here in Acts chapter 6. This is a solid church proclaiming Jesus. The spirit of the living God is going forth. Listen, I want to repeat, when a church is growing because the gospel is proclaimed, we should celebrate and have joy and desire this. Some of the best pastoral advice, and really it was a rebuke. We got early on in planting this church because we thought we knew it all, right? As you do, right? Before you have kids, before you're married, you know all about both those topics, right? Same thing in church planting. We're like, listen, we want to be small. Okay, right? And this pastor just kindly heard us, right? We want to be small, right? And it's easy to say you want to be small when you have 30 people because you are small, all right? And he heard us, and he heard articulation of the gospel in our heart and our philosophy. And he says, what happens when you're not small? What happens when you grow? Oh, well, this, that, and he says, listen, you guys be faithful and leave the outcomes to God. Right? So like church, that is our heart and our desire, to be faithful to the gospel, to beg and to plead. And we're going to let the outcome of transformation and growth be God's business because that is his job. That's his responsibility. Outcomes, listen, in all spheres and facets of our life, like how many of you, like you get wrapped up in the outcomes? I do, right? They're above our pay grade. Outcomes are up to someone much larger than us. Praise God. And the same thing is true of the church. However, Our call is to be what? Faithful. Faithful to the word. Faithful to the proclamation of God. And so listen, I want to just celebrate, not boast in the Park Church, not boast in leadership. Listen, we say this all the time. If you see anything good at this church, it's because God has done it by his grace. If you see any failures and shortcomings, that's on us, right? That's because we're, we're, we're leading. 
But I want to celebrate what God has done in and through the Parks Church over eight years. It's worthy to celebrate that. However, what we need to understand, like we're seeing here in Acts 6, is that growth and growing pains, guess what? Issues come. There are shortcomings. There are failures because growth interrupts what? Our rhythm, our patterns, our comfort, our routines, our plans. And so this is why we find so commonly in the church what takes place here in Acts 6. As the church grows, so do complaints. And I'm not saying that as a joke because these complaints by the Hellenistic widows are not invalid. They are absolutely valid. They are absolutely justified. So point number two in the text is this. We should expect problems or issues when the church is growing. Now, I know this is totally a foreign concept for a pastor to get up and say we should expect problems in the church or issues in the church. But when we are a growing community of faith, there will be issues. There will be problems, right? Look at it. A complaint. A complaint, right? An issue by the Hellenistic widows arose against the Hebrews, right? That's what I was talking about earlier. Listen, it is a mistake, and we need to be careful of this as we journey through the book of Acts. It is a mistake to idealize or romanticize the church in Acts as if it didn't have any problems. Is the church, the early church in Acts, a model church for us? Yes, it is. Is the church in Acts a perfect church? No, it is not. Did the early church have a lot of wins? Yes, it did. Did it have its failures? Yes, it did. And this, I love that the Spirit of God, Luke writing the scriptures, would leave this in here, right? It doesn't paint just this rosy, perfect picture that's so unattainable, but it also puts in there these failures, these shortcomings by the early church, which we all revere in so many fashions. And so it gives me confidence because it's, look, really good churches come up short sometimes. Really good churches fail. Really good leaders fail and have shortcomings at times. Right? I mean, think about the church in Acts chapter 6. Is it a good church? Absolutely. Are they proclaiming the gospel? Yes, they are. Thousands and thousands of people are coming forth, right? Who's their pastor? The 12 apostles, right? Can you imagine asking one of them, like, who's your pastor? Peter, right? Like Peter the guy, yeah, literally his shadow goes by from last week and it heals people, right? He doesn't just preach the word, like he writes the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Like top that one, you know? It's a good church. However, there's still shortcomings, right? And something we have to understand is that there is a difference between a sin and a failure because of human limitation. Hear me. There's a difference between a problem of sin and a problem of human failure or limitation. What we see here in Acts chapter 6, in no way does the text lead us to believe that there is a sin issue in the church with any of the leaders. This is about a human capacity issue. This is about a limitation because of the size that these leaders don't have the capacity and bandwidth to do what they were doing prior And so listen, notice that these issues of the widows, look at it in verse 1, that a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, that's of food. 
that the complaint actually was fielded not directly to the apostles, but to where they were. In the, the early church, they met in homes. And so probably you had this group of widows over here, the Hellenistic or the Greek-speaking, meeting in certain homes. And then you had the widows meeting over here, the, the Jewish or the, uh, the Hebrews uh, widows meeting in another set of homes. They brought to their home groups, right, these issues and these indictments and these complaints. And so the apostles now, as leaders, what they move into is they move into protecting the church, Protecting the church. That is one, as elders and leaders of this church, one of our main responsibilities is to protect the body. What were they protecting? With this valid issue, what were they protecting in the body? I want you to see. I think there are seven things, but we really have to unpack the text to see these. The first one is this, and I would say the, the main one, is that they are trying to protect the unity of the church. Right? The apostles, it says that they literally summoned everyone together. Verse 2. The twelve summoned the full number of disciples, all of the believers, and said, listen, we know the issue. We've heard the complaint, and in fact, it is valid. So we don't want you to think that we haven't heard it, or we're not going to address it. We have heard it to everyone, and we are going to address it. Why would they get everyone together? Because they want to protect the unity of the body over and over again in the Bible. It talks about the unity of faith. Listen, the community, the church, one of the most beautiful things about her, about us, is the unity that we have. Jesus himself says, listen, the people on the outside, they're going to know that you're mine and you're going to give witness to me by what? By your love for one another. By your unity. And so these apostles, they pull everybody together and they say, listen, can we talk about this? Listen, we want, we want to address this because we don't want any division. We don't want any, any disunity and, 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 and gossip or slandering talk. Right, And what they felt probably is what oftentimes is felt in church. It's maybe one step away from division. It's distancing. It's I'm going to distance myself from this. I'm going to distance myself from community. Listen, distancing leads, really suspicion, if you will, leads to distancing. And these apostles are addressing it. Listen, the Hellenistic widows, you have to understand, they were the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they felt that those widows were traitors. They were Greek-speaking. They were outside. Now they moved closer into Jerusalem. They were taking over for the Hebrew widows. And, and now you have them both come to faith, and they're in the same community. Whereas once they were divided, now they're brought together in Jesus, and the apostles are going, listen, the enemy wants to divide us. The enemy wants to highlight our ethnic differences. The enemy wants to highlight our language differences. He wants to highlight all these differences and pull at the fabric of the unity of the early church. And the apostles go, listen, because it's their job, there's no place for that. We must be unified. We must come together. But the second thing is this. They're trying to simply keep up with the volume of needs. Scholars say that by the time of Acts chapter 6, the church has grown to nearly 20,000 people. Yeah, 20,000, you're like zero to 800 is nothing, right? I mean, this is in four months or whatever it's been, right? 20,000 people. Who is leading? 12 apostles. 12 apostles are trying to love and serve that many people, right? That leads to, to number three. They're trying to protect because their leadership is absolutely overburdened. We see this throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, all these places where the leadership is overburdened, and they have to recognize that and go, listen, 
We've got to spread this thing out, right? The church was never meant to be built like a business model, top down. It is a flat level of leadership shared amongst one another. The fourth thing I would say is that they're trying to figure out how to handle criticism. Like, how do we, and and, and by church leaders, I mean all of us. Remember last week we were talking about the ministry that we're all, we all share in that fact? Like, how do we handle criticism? Right? I mean, you have these widows, and Peter's serving them, John, James. You have all these, these disciples, right? The original 12 serving them, loving them. What happens when Nicanor shows up to serve them now? Right? Think about this. Peter was faithfully serving. Peter was laying down. He was loving. He was loving. And then guess who knocks on their door? Wait, who do you expect? Peter! Oh, hi, I'm Nicanor, right? Like, there's going to be criticism. To go, no, 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 Peter's my guy, right? No, Peter, I need Peter. Nick, and Nor, I don't, Nick I'm sure you're a great guy, but I need, I need Peter, all right? So that the disciples have to learn how to handle criticism. They have to learn how to walk through these waters, right? Number five, and I think also just as important almost of unity, is they have to try to keep the priorities in order. Did you sense that? That they go, listen, we're not going to forsake prayer and preaching for serving the table, This is important, that the disciples are going to go, listen, we have to keep our priorities in order as a community, as a church, if we are going to last. We have to keep the main things, the main things in leadership. Listen, I am convinced that the biggest threat to the church and to leadership is not immorality, it's not uh, financial missteps, it is actually a failure to keep the priorities in order in the church. That is the biggest threat to the church. The enemy wants to deceive and make all these peripheral things central. And what happens? You lose the heart of Christ in that. And we're going to talk more about that. And six, they're learning how to share the load. Right? How do we spread this thing out? They call seven men and they they appoint them. Another thing that they're trying to protect is how do we advance the mission and care for people? Right? Like this, listen to me. Every growing gospel-centered church is wrestling with all of these things. How do we maintain the mission that God has called us to while caring for people within our church, outside of our church? Right? How do we do that? Parks Church, how do we do that faithfully? Point number three. When the church grows, we must protect biblical priorities make wise adjustments, and share the ministry, all in a spirit of love. Listen, let us be the first ones standing behind Acts chapter 6 to go, we don't have it figured out. We don't have it figured out, but we want more than anything to glorify God in and through this church. But as we grow, these things have to be true of us. Not just of us as leaders, but us as a community of faith. We have to make sure that the Bible and the priorities that the Word of God lay out stay central to us. Look at this. Look at it. It says in verse 2, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the Word of God to serve tables. Now, when I first read that, I'm going to be honest with you. A part of me goes, why not? What do you mean? Why, why can't you do both, right? I mean, and listen, for, for a long time, they were doing both, by the way. But that word, uh, the phrase, it is not right, 
means this. Listen to me. It is not pleasing is a better translation. Pleasing to who? The people of the church? No, God. God. It is not pleasing to God that we would forego the word of God, literally the preaching of the word of God, to serve tables. Why? Is is there an element or an air of a lack of humility here? No. What this statement is, is the presence of priorities. Listen, we can serve this church, could have served widows, could have clothed the, the needy, could have fed the hungry all they want, but absent of the word of God and the gospel, it is not a church. And so the apostles, the leaders are going, listen, we're not going to forsake the main thing for a good thing, right? We're not going to be distracted by a good thing. And listen, there are a lot of good things that can distract the church from the main thing. And the disciples go, we're not going to do it. We're going to maintain the priority of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and prayer, right? But listen, it's both and. Notice that they don't go, hey, we're just going to preach and preach and preach. It's just going to be the word. It is the word and deed. That's the beauty of the church. The beauty of the church, that it is both the proclaimed word of God that leads to action. Notice after they say this, verse 3, they say, hey, listen, we're not going to forsake the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. However, or in your Bible, maybe it says, therefore, pick out from among you, oh, the ministry of deed, the ministry of serving the widows, it's not going to go by the wayside. It is actually going to be ramped up because the body, we're going to share the load with all people. Like, I, I, I love this, this, just this picture of the early church because, listen, Parks, if you're part of this ministry, this is where we are. We're going, listen, we can't do it any longer just as, 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 as 5, 10, 20 leaders, just as covenant partners in this church. We need the whole body. Listen, even as we're talking right now, there are 50, 60 leaders down at another venue right here on the square being trained and equipped to lead groups ministry that's going to launch here in February. A beautiful thing, sharing the load, right? But we must keep the priority, which will always be the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God going forth so that we can serve the needs of our body and the community. The gospel must be the fuel that this church runs on because if we remove that fuel, that fuel, we are nothing, and maybe fool is a, is a right word there. If we remove that fuel, we're nothing more than a social agency. We're nothing more than, than the Red Cross. We're nothing more than, than just helping hands, right? Listen, this is a church, and the priority of the church is the proclamation of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, when it talks about the preaching of the word of God here, it's not simply talking about a Sunday morning gathering. I'm convinced that it's not even just talking about the temple gathering. It is talking about the gospel going forth in the marketplace. Day by day, the apostles and the church proclaimed the word of God. Listen, the gospel is the priority. So we must protect biblical priorities. But also, same vein, we've got to make wise adjustments, right? We've got to make these adjustments as we grow, as we lead, as the Spirit leads us and guides us. We have to go, Lord, what are you saying to us? How do we adjust? The widows are being neglected. How do we serve them? There's this shortcoming. There's this failure. There's this issue. How do we address that? How do we come alongside people? And the way in which the the disciples saw fit, you know what they did? They called more people, right? They called these seven men to lead other leaders. And notice 
Notice the qualifications of these guys. And I would say that these qualifications apply whether you're male or female. These are the qualifications that a church to make a growing church looks for in people. Did you see them? People of good reputation. People have a, who have a good reputation throughout the community. People full of the Holy Spirit. Right? What does that mean? People who are full of the Spirit of the living God, who are gracious and mercy-filled. You need to know what, what it means to be full of the Spirit. Go look at Galatians 5. People who bear the fruit of the Spirit and people who are wise. People who are not easily offended, but people who, who are mature. And you see this sharing and this spreading out. I think this text shows us that everyone is called in some sort or another to serve the church in one way or another. And I love the heart of this church so much, and I'm so thankful, particularly for those of you who are covenant partners here, that you have the attitude that this is not just a place that you attend, this is not just a place where you hear sermons, but this is your family where you serve. Right? That, that's your heart. Listen, my uncle in Missouri listens to my sermons every week, all right? But he's not a partner of this church. This is not his faith family. This is not where he, he serves. Listen, we need a group of people. We long for a group of people together who have the heart of Peter, right? The same Peter who led this church wrote 1 Peter. Look at this, 1 Peter 4. And this is verses 10 and 11. It says, it's each has received a gift. Like, we all have gifts. Every single one of us. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say, I don't have any gifts usable. No, all of us have gifts that we've been given by God. For what reason? As good stewards, or use it to serve one another. What's your gift? What's the point? To serve one another. As stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves. So here Peter again is doubling down. He's going, listen, there are going to be those of you who here preach and proclaim the word of God. There's going to be those of you who here are teaching, who are leading the, the small groups, who are going to lead Sunday school classes, who are going to do all those things, speaking. Right? That's not an elevated role. That's a role with a gift God's given you. Look, the next is just like it. Whoever serves, right? So this would be more in action, in doing, laying yourself down, serving the body. He says, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So oftentimes we serve, and here's where we get off the rails, we serve in our own strength and not in the strength that God supplies. I want to be part of a community and church that serves out of the supply that God gives, not out of the supply I think Kyle has. There's a short runway on that. But God gives us the supply to serve. I don't have time to serve. I, 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 I don't have the gifts. No, listen, God is the one who supplies that, right? Maybe you need to take a, a machete to your schedule, but God supplies the strength and the gifts, all right? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is what the beautiful church looks like. People who are collectively together carrying the load. And look at what happens at the end of chapter 6 or in the, the section that we read, verse 7. It's easy to maybe look at all these issues, to look at these problems, to look at hey, the widows aren't being served, all these failures and go, man, that church, it's a train wreck. Oh, no. It's beautiful. It's beautiful because it's growing. 
It's beautiful because the church is unlike anything else on the planet. The church is not an organization. The church is an organism. It's a living, breathing thing that takes shape, that evolves, that grows, that's led by Jesus himself. And look what happens in spite of these failures, in spite of these shortcomings. Look at verse 7. I love it. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. You see that? Like, like, in spite of those things, and I wouldn't even say in spite of, I would say because of those things. Why? Because failures, shortcomings, problems in a growing church are an opportunity for more gospel-centered growth, right? We don't fear them. We don't shy away from them. We don't, we, don't, we don't back down from them. We go, no, this is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to display who he is, for the Holy Spirit to display his unity in a body. And that's what took place here in Acts chapter 6. Guess what? The ministry load got dispersed. They made wise adjustments. They continued to proclaim the gospel. And people kept getting saved, in fact, in record numbers. Like, it would be so easy to zoom out and go, man, they got issues. They've got problems. Man, is this the beginning of the end? No, this is the beginning of the Holy Spirit moving and launching a greater work. Like, that's how we have to see things like this in the church. So a normal church rhythm is this. Hear it. Preach, pray, grow, issue. Preach, pray, grow, issue. And it's like repeat and and rinse or whatever that, that phrase is, right? For the history of the church as long as the main things say the main things. And these moments strengthen the church. And even where at the very end it says, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Don't gloss over that. A great many of the what? The priests. The guys who they were just in front of, who were persecuting them in this council, who flogged them, who beat them. The priests who were there condemning Jesus and saying, listen, crucify him, crucify him. The guys who are most angry, the guys who are most against the gospel, what happens? They come to faith. Wow. Church perfect? No. But the will of God? Perfect every time. Listen, some of you maybe walk in here and you maybe have an attitude, you don't even know it, of a priest where you're just angry toward God. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe they're one of those just stiff-arming God continually, continually. Listen, what verse, shows, what verse 7 shows me is this, is the power of the gospel, that the gospel is mighty to save, that the power of the gospel supersedes the issues and the shortcomings and the failures that are inevitably going to come in communities like ours. But the gospel never fails. Even the priests were coming to faith. Those who were most opposed peered in, and I'm convinced of this, to the community and said, yeah, man, they, they're kind of like us in a way, but they're really not like us at all. They peered in, they go, we know dead religion. We know, we know, we know this facade, we know this whitewashed tomb stuff, but they have something real. They have a foreign unity, a unity that comes through the Spirit. Listen, where, where else in the world without Jesus this would divide, this would fracture, this would splinter inside? It's actually making them stronger. That's foreign, right? That's the power of the gospel. Listen, as a church, may God help us. May God help us to keep the main things the main things.
May God help us to keep our priority on the proclamation of the gospel and that gospel fuel, fuel us to lay down our lives in unity where we fail to own it, to make those adjustments and to see more and more people transformed for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that is so timely and true. No matter where we are personally or corporately. God, I pray for us as a church. God, as we come to passages like this, as we go through texts like this, I'm so thankful for this faith family. I'm so thankful for how she serves and loves one another. Not perfectly, but really well. But God, I would ask, I would pray that your spirit might open our eyes collectively, individually as well to those places that you're calling us to make those wise adjustments. Those areas where we have been distracted by good things away from the main things. God, you would help us in ministry, all of us, to endeavor faithfully just as we have received the gospel, the, the saving work of Jesus Christ, to be people who lay down our lives for one another in the church and those outside of our church. God, may we not be marked by hollow, shallow growth in the wrong direction, but God, mark this church by faithful growth toward and in Jesus. Make us more into his image, I pray. God, even as we draw into Christmas, God, I pray that there might be a Holy Spirit unity that comes by people who are united because your son showed up and saved us. Strengthen this church from the attacks of the enemy. God, he hates what's going on here. So I pray that you might strengthen us, deepen in us relationships, deepen in us your word, deepen in us prayer that pursues you. God, but most of all, I pray for those in here who don't know you, that just as these priests who are angry toward you, their lives were changed, changed lives. As you did for me, open eyes, soften hard hearts and prideful lives to see that you are good, that your great grace might surprise them even during this Christmas season where we're surrounded by so many shadows of who you are. God, I thank you again for this church. May we continue to be a faithful witness for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.